All right, we are, uh, I don't have a fancy PowerPoint here for you because uh, I haven't had internet connection. Oh, it's this, yeah, I can, I got extras. So, and I apologize for the toner, um, but we've been talking about, uh, you guys get any hair? It, the Bible, and if it could be, if it wasn't, what it says it is, the Word of God, what could it possibly be the result of? Uh, we've talked about uh, it could be this, this development of over many, many years. We saw that that's not, a, that's not really possible. And I uh, got everyone? Glenn, did you get one? Okay. Uh, and uh, war, that, that probably is not reality. So maybe it was this elaborate deception. Maybe it was this uh, plan to lie. Well, we saw that that really wasn't likely with the, the way that they suffered for it, and no one, no one came forward and said, oh, this is, a, uh, this is really what happened. So we're going to look at the other choice that some people say, well, maybe it was a delusion. Maybe uh, it was this... Um, Result, maybe they thought that it was real. Maybe they died for it because they, as apostles, thought that this was real. Um, I should just put these back here. Uh, if you guys want to grab one. Hey, Marty. So, um, well, here's the thing about uh, a delusion. We talked about if Christ had... When we talked about who Christ was, we talked about was he deluded? You know, was he suffering something that made him think, you know, he was, he was really... God. And, and, and did these apostles have all these delusions about things? Then um, the problem about delusions are that they, having multiple delusions tend not to produce the same result. You can't... People don't have the same, uh, the same hallucination, typically. Well, uh, when we look at that then, um, people say, well, the Bible shows some problems, doesn't it? I mean, if you read, in fact, we talked about how even some of the early founding fathers or, or early church fathers, as we call them, had some issues with the, with the gospel accounts and said, well, they have some irreconcilable differences. And we're going to look at that and see if that's actually true or not. We can't go through the whole Bible, of course. We're going to try to do this with one story, the most important story, and that is the resurrection uh, today because that's the cornerstone of everything that we, we think of. Are there contradictions uh, in the resurrection story? Uh, and when we start analyzing it, and I, I attempted to, in a very short period of time, put together this little comparison. Um, who was there at the first visit? That's one of the things that gets brought up. There's all these differences. And then there's, um, uh, what was the emotions in, uh, of these people? And did they believe or not believe? The, 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 all the accounts seem to differ. Was there one angel or two angels? So if, we, if we lay these all parallel then um, they don't seem to match up. Uh, so, so we're going to, to look at that and see if there are actually contradictions. Because if there are contradictions, then that shows that, that maybe they didn't see things accurately. And that gives credence to the fact that maybe they were under a delusion. Um, 
So a, we need to know uh, just a couple of important notes about some contradictions, and we're going to get to this map up there, and I realize or was made aware that my font is a little bit small up there, but that's okay. There's not that much on that map that's actually important. I uh, just wanted to get a layout of, of Jerusalem. But um, a couple of important notes about contradiction is that we need to know what a contradiction actually is. Some people claim contradictions where there's no contradictions. For example, if in court someone said he was wearing a dark shirt and someone said he was wearing a black shirt, that would not be a contradiction, right? Um, now, if someone said he was wearing a red shirt and someone wear, said he was wearing a blue shirt, that's a contradiction. Um, so, so that's not a contradiction. Um, if I said, um, say I had witnessed the accident or I witnessed a crime and, and I, I'm giving my testimony and I said, well, there was a person there who said such and such, and another person said, well, there were two people there. That's not a contradiction because I am simply referring to the speaker and they are identifying the number of people. Now, I said in singular, a person was there who said. Now, it seems to indicate that I said there's one person there, but that's not a contradiction because I'm, the point of my testimony is not how many people are there. I'm referring to how many people spoke. Uh, uh, let's see, another one. Um, also, a generality does not contradict a specific. If I'm just giving a generality uh, of a statement uh, in, in court and, and someone else gives a specific, a generality doesn't contradict a specific necessarily. We also need to, another important note when we're going to, we're going to go through all these as many as we can um, and we'll see that these aren't really contradictions, these different gospel accounts. Uh, we'll come up with one storyline that explains all these details, uh, and it won't be this crazy storyline. Um, but we need to observe missing details. So, for example, if you look at that, with just this handout, you notice blank spots in each gospel account, right? Details that one, and so they each are focusing on different parts of the story. So if you try to match everything up, it's not going to work. Um, so if I, uh, and, and here's one of the things that they, the word then, the word then does not mean immediately after. We, that's what we kind of, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. We kind of, we kind of like a, this succession of events that happened all, all, that's the way we like to tell our stories. They didn't tell stories like that. Then could mean a while later. That's, that's actually one of the definitions for their word then. It was later. Later this happened. And so they might skip to another event hours later. It might not be like this happened, then this happened. So uh, sometimes in the Bible, then refers to a period months later in the, in the Gospels. You ever wonder? Wow. It seems like we just go through every day and he went here and said this story and then he went here. Sometimes there's months and months between those two events in the gospel account because here we have 20 chapters or 16 chapters of, of Jesus' life. You know, so, so we skip and they'll say, then he went here. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's almost a year later. So, um, so we need to observe missing details and understand the word then. And the last thing... Uh, is that 
summarizing events that are happening. How do we summarize simultaneous events? How do you do that in a story? Well, think about a movie. How would you do that? You have two things that are happening that you need to tell that are important. This person's here doing this thing, and this person's here doing this thing. How do you summarize that? Can you do it chronologically? Well, you can if you want a really obtuse story, right? This person does this. Okay, freeze. Back over here. Back over here. Back over there. That would be an awful story. So, so we kind of tell a part of the story to a natural conclusion. Then we back up, and then we tell this part of the story, and then kind of catch them up until the two stories kind of combine, right? And that's how we would write a movie, and that's how we write a story. So, so it kind of sounds like in some of the parts of this resurrection story that, that, the, that the story is this is happening and then this is happening. But it's not if we're harmonizing. This guy's telling what happened here. And this guy might be focusing on something that was happening at a different place at the same time. So we need to have a plausible Chronology. Now, I'm not going to say that the events that I'm going to detail happened exactly as they are. What I'm going to do is give you a possible explanation. There might be more than one possible explanation for how these details in the gospel accounts are different. But I am going to show that it, it is not mandatory that these things are a contradiction. So, uh, I do want to introduce our map. The gray thing in the middle is the border, the walls around Jerusalem. That would be Jerusalem. If you can't see that, we have a couple of weird-looking shapes here up to the upper left and to the top right. Uh, just to the right um, of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives, uh, just on the east side. And uh, that little blob there is a possibility for the location of the tomb. That would be where I think it is. Uh, I am in the vast minority, if that such a phrase exists. Uh, almost everyone thinks it's to the northwest. Um, I have put it as close as possible to the, that little dot down to the right, which is Beth, Bethany, um, just for the purpose. And you'll see why that's important. Uh, Bethany is located about 2.75 miles along that road, which is a weirdly shaped road, but that road is shaped that way because of the mountains. And so roads, much like in Minnesota and Wisconsin, do not follow straight lines. Where you have mountains you just, or lakes, you just kind of follow the contour. <laughs> so, uh, so that is that road that would be easiest because there's some mountains down below it and up, and that's the way they built the road. That road I took off of, I just traced it off of Google Maps. It's the same road. Um, you'll read in your Bibles, there's a couple places that give the distance. Um, and if you do the translation, the distance is shorter. The Bible is not inaccurate. The Bible is quite accurate. But it lists it in what we call stadia, which was a Greek measurement. And the problem with Greek measurement was that... <clears throat> They had different stadia at different points of time, right? Their measurements weren't standard. And stadia was measured based on king's feet. Well, who was the king at the time? Or, or what, like, so, so it was 15 stadia from wherever. That's wonderful. That tells us nothing. 
I traced this on Google Maps, and it tells me exactly how far it is. And it is two point, actually it's about 2.8 miles. I shortened it up because I don't know if it was the near side of Bethany or the far side, so I, I, I underestimated for a reason. We'll see how it, it works out. Um, I took the minimum just to see how, how this would work out in a, in a plausible chronology. So we're going to get into it here. One of the first things that we look at, uh, we look at the women's first visit. When did it happen? All right. Um, well, we have, we have this stone being rolled, actually even before the women. We're telling two simultaneous events or near simultaneous events. So as you look at the day, we, now we all see that it's after the Sabbath, or the Sabbath is past. That's a Saturday. It was the first day of the week. Um, and I even threw in 1 Corinthians, which doesn't have many details, but <clears throat> it's there. But the time is important because it says it began to dawn. Mark says that the sun had risen. Luke says that it's very early in the morning. Those are all wonderful. And then John goes, still dark. Thank you, John. <laughs> what is being described? Well, it depends on what we're referring to. We can all refer to events differently. Is John talking about when the stone was rolled? Is he talking about when the women arrived, when the w women left? Right? These are not necessary contradictions. If we look at this event as simultaneous events, that the stone is being rolled away approximately at the time the women are leaving, they've got to walk on a not nice road close to three miles. If they leave in the dark, they're probably going to get there as the dawn, as the sun is coming up. Then they've got to get there. Let's assume that it was the shortest trip possible. They've still got to get to two. If they have to get to the other side of Jerusalem, this is why I say I, I picked the minimum. If they have to get to the other side of Jerusalem, it's even going to take longer. Right? Uh, and, and jumping over from the road to Jericho that goes up this way and over to the road that goes to Galilee, that would, that's not a pleasant trip either. There's rivers and streams and all that stuff that they have to cross. So they might even just cut through Jerusalem. Well, that's not easy. So, so you see, this is this time being consumed. We don't we read it and say one sentence. Oh, hey, what? there's time being consumed in this event. So, um, so it's not likely to be uh, a contradiction. The stone is being rolled away. One of the things I noticed, I never really paid attention to it before. Probably everyone else has. That you notice here, one of them refers to, uh, some of them don't refer to the guards at all, right? Um, some of them are really condensed. John really condenses uh, the early part of the story. He gets to the details that are happening actually much, much later, probably in this day. Um, Matthew, Matthew is very generalized. Matthew is very general account. Uh, there are a lot of details missing, and that will become important. But um, we notice that there are no guards when the women get there. The reason that's important comes to 
these angels. How many angels were there and where were they? That's a problem, isn't it? One angel or two angels? One says they were on the stone, sitting out, or he was on the stone. John doesn't mention them at all. And um, Mark seems to agree uh, with Matthew in the number of them, one. But Luke specifically states that there were two. Mark does agree with Luke that they were inside, in fact, states a specific of the location on the right side. Always go with the most specific. Not Again, and I'm not allowing that these are a contradiction, but, but we start with the one who gives most specific details is going to tend to have the exact thing that he wants. Others are going to generalize. And here's what is going on, I believe. Matthew gives the position of the angel as it related to the guards. Because he's the one that tells us the story of the guards. The others do not. None of the others mention the guards. He's focusing on that first actual resurrection and the rolling of the stone. The rest are going to begin with the women coming. The others do not mention the guards. At all. So, is it that difficult for us to see that between whatever period of time it took them to walk close to three miles or more, it had to have taken at least an hour? That the angels have moved from inside, from outside? Maybe there was only one? I don't know. And that now there are two. Well, wait a minute. We still have a contradiction, don't we? Because Luke or Mark says there's one. He is a young man, and he's on the right side. While Luke says there are two. Again, let's go with the most detailed. The most detailed is likely to be right. The other is likely to be a generalization. There's all sorts of plausible explanations that these do not have to be a contradiction. What if, what if Luke is paying attention to the detail of how many there were and Mark is paying attention to the detail of who spoke? Right? Mark is detailing the quote. They all tell the quote when it's pretty similar. The details are pretty similar. But Mark is emphasizing the speaker. Luke is paying attention not just to the quote, but to the number of people that are there. Not a contradiction. <laughs> yes? It also has a lot to do with their writing style, yeah. who they're writing to. Mm-hmm. <coughs> because they all, write, they all wrote from different perspectives. Sure. Matthew is very focused on writing to like, people with a Jewish background. Sure. Maybe that's why they would know more about the guards or care more about the guards than right. the other. Right. Right. Yes. And Matthew, there's a disagreement about who wrote first, Matthew or Mark, and did one copy the other, and I'm not even going to get into that. Um, but but there, there are, like you say, there's a lot of other details about the very writing of this, and who and when, um, 
that goes into the stories. If, if you already, you ever, you ever been around somebody that wants to tell you this story that you've heard like a bunch of times? Like, just skip the detail. I've already heard this story. It's like, keep going, keep going. Right, get, let's get to the end, right? Uh, because I've heard the details. So sometimes if there's people there that you know, oh, I'm not going to say the same story over and over again. Uh, I'm not going to tell all the details. I might just share the new details that, that I want to emphasize. Uh, that were there, but I didn't tell it the last time. Maybe I told, last time I told it, uh, I just gave you the general. Uh, so, so the angels, how many, where they were, uh, is not contradictory. We come to a difficult part of this story, and that is the women, the appearances, and the message. That is, I would think, the hardest part to figure out, but it's not really when we start looking at um, these women as people. We sometimes go back in time and we turn people into robots. We don't think of them as human beings. And I will, uh, it says, uh, so for example, we, we look at the message that they, they go, uh, well, their emotion is uh, Matthew lists it as joy. Mark says they were afraid. Some of them say that they went back and told everybody. Some say that they went back and told nobody. That seems like a contradiction. You can't tell everybody and tell nobody at the same time. That's a contradiction, right? <laughs> we would have to look again at... So Luke says that they returned and told the eleven and the rest. Mark says they were afraid and said nothing. How do we... Well, if you look on your sheet, you notice that Luke also later says that the, that the disciples didn't believe. But in between those two things, there's not anything. Luke skips a lot. So Luke summarizes everything from when they leave to the tomb to when they report. So there's all these other events that the others detail that Luke is just skipping right past. He's got a different point that he's trying to bring out in his story. He's not contradicting. He is not showing the evolution of uh, doubt to joy. Right? I want to look at um, these women, as I said, as human beings. What has happened to these women? They don't know that yet. And if I'm going to believe Mark, they don't believe it yet. What has just happened prior to this, to this day? What's that? They watched him die while the rest of them took off. These women have watched the, the man they care about most in life brutally murdered. Then, and this is something that no one could imagine, they, the same day, the same hour, embalmed him. They did not have the luxury of going through the five stages of grief. We would today call this PTSD. They would have had no idea. I believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John summarized perfectly PTSD. 
going through this vast range of motion of, of emotions. There's the possibility that this could be, but there's also disbelief, and they're wrestling with all of this inside. And emotions do not make sense. And and it makes sense even less if you don't know how to define this, which they 2,000 years ago, they did not know how to define this. We didn't know how to define this 100 years ago after World War II. And you're going to go back 2,000 years and expect these women to be cold, calculating women and think, yes, an angel has just told me this. I'm going to be happy and I'm going to go my way and I'm going to... Sh-. That is not reality. That's not reality. Yeah, have you ever had something you kind of hoped was true, but you didn't want to believe it because you didn't want to be let down? That's this right here. And I think they were afraid. And at first, I, and I think this, we definitely, they arrived. They arrived with a story uh, of joy but they left with a story of doubt. That's important. Uh, And it then brings us to some other thing. Who went, where, what happened? Anybody ever lost a son? We were talking about this morning. We lost lost one son twice on one trip. Um, No guesses as to who that might be. (laughs) What do you do? Okay. What? Okay, that's what you do if you're logical. What do you do? Okay. How do you look around? Yell. You a little panic? Okay. You hope you find them. You're thinking the worst. You split up. How old was she? Four years old. Oh, geez. In a foreign country. <laughs> You're frantic. You're frantic. So what do you do? You split up. You've got a gaggle of women here. That's the official word. That's not my... You've got a whole bunch of women. And they're confronted. And the first reaction is one of doubt, as we've said. They've stolen the body. Split. And I think that defines for us, we think that these women went around as a block of people just going, that's not how people act. So I think a bunch of them, because who did they tell? Some say 11, the 11, they went and told the 11. That could just be general. Some say Peter, uh, one says Peter and John. And I think we will find who appeared first? Did he appear to all the women? So some people try to harmonize this by making like 800 trips and back and forth and here and there, and it doesn't make sense to do that. These are women. They're not going to make 75 trips to the tomb so that we can get all these trips, and that's, that's three miles each way. So I believe if we look at the Gospels, we see that Peter and John are together. Right? Peter and John are together here. Peter and John are together the night of the crucifixion, the night of the trials. They seem to be located central to Jerusalem. 
some people believe that they were staying with um, John Mark, who was Peter's relative. Uh, that might be also why they have a place to preach from or to gather in Jerusalem where the 120 gathered. Those are all conjecture. But if that's the case, Mary Magdalene is in a good proximity to get to wherever it is that Peter and John are staying long before the other women have left to go tell the rest of the disciples who would be staying back in Bethany. She's got a couple hundred yards to travel. They've got three miles to go. And in this time, all of this stuff is going to start happening and transpiring. So she runs to tell Peter and John. We know Peter and John go to the tomb. They are a little bit faster than her. She's exhausted. She's already walked three miles that day. She probably ran to see him. Some say Peter, some say Peter and John. Not a contradiction, just like the angels. Peter runs in, sees the cloth. They go. The rest of this story as it relates to them is not important because we're going to start to come to the appearances. Does, does Jesus appear to the women or to Mary? And how does that work? Well, the most specific detail is that Jesus appeared to Mary first. Remember, they're separate. Also remember that Jesus is not bound by space or time. He's popping over on the road to Emmaus. He's popping over at the tombs, wherever that is. He's going up to, uh, to the upper room. right? He's, and we even know that that night, he just walks in, just appears in a room. He, they've got the door locked. And he's there. So space and time... Jesus has never cared about. That's not a difficulty. But, so they leave, the women leave on this three-mile trek back. And in this time, as they're going back, Mary has then proceeded back. How many of you lost something, not a child? Keys, wallet, what do you do? Still looking. Still looking. <laughs> you haven't given up. Yes. Right. Just so some things are okay. I go through my day. Okay. I had the keys there. Did this. Then my wallet. Right. You tear. We lost the red box last night. Found it. But do you know how many times I've checked my glove compartment? I know it's not in there, and I'm still opening it up. Why? Don't know. Maybe it'll magically be there this time. So what does Mary do? She's just told Peter and John they've removed the body. And what does she do? She goes back. She's going to check just one more time just to make sure. See, she's a human being. She's going she's gonna to find, and, and this is when she sees the gardener. It's not that first trip, because that would make no sense. Then we would have all these difficulties. But if we start seeing people as human, go tell Peter and John. The women are still probably halfway or three-quarters of the way back by this point in time. 
We're probably close to noon. Or maybe later. So there's the appearance to Mary. Jesus then, not bound by time, appears to women, probably as they got close to Bethany. So they leave with a message of doubt. Now where does Mary go? Back to tell the eleven. Now she's on the she's after them. So they've they arrive with a message, and now Mary's coming back with the message. I've seen them. They've already probably gotten there. And now it's all starting to make sense, isn't it? It's all coming in. There's no contradictions. And it's not this really difficult story. While this is happening, Jesus appears over here on the road to Emmaus. And not only that, stays with them. It's probably getting close to supper time, I think the story says. So they go, now it's evening. And they go way over here. And they're going to tell the apostles, who now everybody's come in and gathered centrally in Jerusalem. Because we've got to see Peter and John. And we learn an important detail uh, in in, uh, one of the Gospels, Luke 24, 24. Was it Peter or John? Who was it? The men on the road to Emmaus tell us that Um, in their story, something in the telling of everything, they can confirm that Jesus had, during this time period, appeared to Peter, which which is the first one that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians. That's his first appearance. He doesn't begin with Mary. He begins with Peter. And his focus is more on the apostles. And that is confirmed by the men on the road to Emmaus. And that's in their story. There's a little detail. I've, I've read that. I've read that. And how many times have you ever read the resurrection story? I never noticed that before. That the men on the road to Emmaus give this little detail. Oh, he's appeared to Peter. I don't know if Jesus told them that or if they saw Peter. And so, um, trying to find out where I'm at here. Then we conclude with appearing to the apostles. How many apostles? Ten. Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Dead. Dead. And who's not there? Thomas is not there. Okay, and Thomas is not there. Paul says he appeared to the twelve. One says the eleven. But we know it has to be ten. (laughs) I was like, what? Contradiction. Not a contradiction. We have to understand that references to the twelve or the eleven were understood. 
Peter stood up with the eleven in Acts chapter 2. Right? So the twelve was a reference to the apostles. When you said the twelve, we knew what that meant, even though one of them is dead. Right? Someone said, uh, Abraham Lincoln was born in a log, ca- log cabin. Is that true? President Lincoln was born in a log cabin. Is that true? No, he wasn't the president when he was born in the log cabin. But we know him as President Lincoln. These men were known as, the the group of apostles were known as the Twelve. It doesn't make a difference whether one of them had died or whether one of them was technically not there. We talk about, uh, we just had the Fourth of July and we talk about how the, the whatever, however many men signed the Declaration of Independence. They didn't all sign it on that day. It was, I think, the last signature came in August sometime. But we just summarize. If they would have said the ten, no one would have known who he was talking about. Right? The important point is not the details of how many. The important point is that he's referencing the fact that the apostles were appeared to as a group. Technically, we know it was ten. One was dead. One was not there. Thomas. So that's not a contradiction. We're going to wrap up. But this story, as I say, is the foundation story. And if we can see that there's no contradictions in that story, the most crucial story of these writings, well, we can see that it's not a delusion. This is not something they made up. And these men wrote at different times, like you said, to different people and the stories match up and they make one narrative with zero contradictions. This Bible's inspired. You can have confidence that it is exactly what it says. It's dependable. It is not a delusion. It's not a, it's not a deception. It's not some development over years. It is the Word of God. We're going to continue with some other evidences as we, as we go forward. All right, thank you.